Hey guys, it's Dawn and I wanted to let you know about a new space I'm creating called What's the Truth Community. If you experience trauma in childhood, the truth can be really elusive. In toxic families, the truth of what goes on behind closed doors is hidden. And I speak to people every day who are only just now beginning to discover the truth of who they really are years later because we were given so many false beliefs about ourselves. Nobody loves you. You should be ashamed. You'll never amount to anything. All the lies are manipulation within toxic family homes. But each belief that gets filed away in your subconscious mind is so powerful. Each belief changes every choice you make and that can change the entire direction of your life. If you are ready to create a beautiful life for yourself, come and join me in the What's the Truth community. By sharing truth, we are learning to step out of the fog and see what is the truth of your life so far. Because once you can see it, you can fix it. We are going to be talking about truth so that you can finally live in peace, freedom and authenticity. In the What's the Truth membership, you will have access to subscriber-only episodes, all ad-free and all for the cost of a cup of coffee a month. This is the most important community you will become a part of this year. If you listen via the Apple Podcasts app, you can sign up right there in the app. And if you listen on any other platform, you can sign up via Supercast. It's super easy and the links are in the show notes. This is your safe space. I'm so excited for you to join me. Daddy issue, <laughs> abandonment issues, daddy issues. I think it was me looking for love in all the wrong places. I think I mistaked control and manipulation, control and fathering from someone who was a bit older than me for love. I think it took me a long time to understand that someone telling me what to do, someone controlling my reactions, someone giving me manipulation, narcissism, whatever you may say, all of that was not healthy for me. And that continued my own intergenerational trauma pattern. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through, and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. friend if you suffer from anxiety and are sick of all the ways it's taking over your life please take a look at panic away for over 10 years now panic away has been showing people how to break anxious patterns and get their old carefree self back the person they were before anxiety ruled their life panic away shows you how to break the anxiety loop and it gives your nervous system a chance to relax. It's totally drug-free and highly successful, and it helps people with all levels of anxiety. Panic Away comes with a full money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. 
it's time to take back control of your life, your happiness and your freedom. A life free of anxiety is like living an entirely different life. Click the link in the show notes for access to Panic Away. Hey, my beautiful friends. You know when somebody suddenly shouts and your body begins to shake, your stomach turns over or you feel hot and clammy, you have just been triggered. When a door slams and you suddenly feel angry and fired up, you have just been triggered. Triggers are an emotional reaction in the present to something that happened to us in the past. How are you dealing with your triggers? Because in generations past, people spent a lifetime getting non-stop triggered and not understanding this is what was happening to them. But now we're so much more aware. Now we have awareness around triggers and where they come from. There are some really great steps you can take to start bringing those trigger reactions down. And it's all waiting for you over on the Heal blog this week. What is a trigger and how can I stop getting triggered? Access is via a link in the show notes. This week, I'm chatting with Lisa. There was a lot of confusion for Lisa growing up. She had a father who was living with a mental illness and her mum wasn't coping and preferred to just bury the fact that she wasn't coping. And Lisa's father would try to condition her into believing ideas that were not necessarily what the rest of the world believed. Her dad was well known within their community for his differences and Lisa was subjected to community abuse and nicknames just for being his daughter. Growing up in chaos and with a nervous system constantly in fight, flight or freeze, Lisa then married an older man she believed loved her. But looking back, Lisa now understands she mistook control and manipulation for love. And that is the trauma cycle right there. When you grow up in an unhealthy environment, chaos and abuse is so familiar to you that you can spend a lifetime being drawn into multiple abusive relationships. But Lisa has been on a healing journey and she's now working with her clients to break those generational patterns because it is only through awareness and understanding of the cycles of trauma that we can change the lives of ourselves and our children and be the cycle breakers for our family. And there is so much power in that. Please join me now for Lisa's story. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. You are a psychoeducational consultant and you help people to understand their predisposition to trauma and how to counteract that process. I know that you've personally learned how to manage the effects of mental illness for yourself and you now want to help educate others to do the same. Much of your story comes from generational mental health issues. Can you tell us a little bit about your father and your grandfather and what was playing out within your family when you were a child? I was raised by two parents initially. I was raised by a father who was later diagnosed as schizophrenic bipolar. And I was raised by a mother who had two generations of recovery within this topic. So there was a lot of trauma in growing up, a lot of turmoil in growing up, and a lot of questioning exactly where I was, what I was supposed to do. And, and I turned a lot to anger and sort of revolted against some of the things that I didn't understand about my own upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. And were you the only child or did you have siblings? No, well? I have a brother. I have a brother. So I was the oldest. I, I since have, you know, two step siblings, but I had a brother while growing up who was three years younger than me. So I was the oldest. So mm -hmm. Many of the time I took the reins, helping to keep the family calm. 
Yeah. And I should have mentioned without really knowing what was going on around you, it must have just been a lot of confusion. It definitely was a lot of confusion and understanding trauma more, more how I understand it at this moment. I rebelled completely and I was extremely lost and I went in and out of that fight, flight, freeze, fawn thing that trauma survivors do. But I was mainly in fight for most of my life and I wasn't on the best of paths until I really got to a a place where I wanted to start learning about it. And that wasn't until I had entered into a relationship myself, eventually marriage that ended up being a toxic relationship. Yeah. When do you think you first understood that your caregivers had mental health issues? My father, not, not as much my mother. My, my mom is, you know, for lack of a better word, normal. And my father, pretty darn early, he would sort of condition me to try to see things from his perspective. And I would try to avoid seeing things from his perspective. And I did have a mother who would take me through things and sort of make me understand a little bit, but her way of coping was more so acting like it didn't exist and kind of, you know, pushing me away from things and just sort of protecting me and not really talking about it per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was with him, it was very clear that I was dealing with those type of issues. Whereas I started to become very inept at reading his body language in understanding the vocal cues in understanding his eye movements and all of the things that he believed and the things that he in turn conditioned me to believe. And as a child, I was very confused because I didn't know if I should believe some of the things that he was telling me or not. Hmm. And then as I got older, you know, I really started to realize this was what he was conditioning me to believe was not necessarily what the rest of the world believed. So therefore it probably was a falsity. Yeah. Can you give us an example of something that he wanted you to believe? He believed that he would be connected to Jesus Christ and he would be connected to Elvis Presley and he would be connected to different individuals and different entities and things like that. And believed in different rebirths and reincarnations and things like that, you know, without getting into too much detail, it was kind of out there stuff. Yeah. And so you're dealing with a father who is obviously suffering with a severe mental health issue. You've got a a mother who's really abandoning the situation. How, how did you relate to people outside of your home? Like it it must have been really difficult to even connect with other people. Well, initially as a child, I was very well known who I was and who my father was and, and, you know, how he interacted with the world, the things he did. He was very open with his beliefs and he was very open with his display of beliefs and he would make his appearance look different than many other people. So I would gain nicknames and I would gain stories and things like that. And I had been through some community abuse just simply because I was his daughter. So there were definitely some moments of difficulty Then it became that I started trauma bonding with a large group of friends and we're actually still friends till today. And we all sort of had our own issues of trauma and sort of came together and became like this little family helping each other through things. And then I met my, my husband and um, I was quite young and he was a little bit older than me. So I, I tend, 
I tended to date people who were a little bit older than me and sort of try to escape the turmoil at home. But in turn, what I was doing was just having these abandonment issues and looking for love from people who were a little bit older than me. Yeah. So it's almost like craving that, that not, not a father figure, but almost like you just want that person that you feel like knows what they're doing almost in the world, isn't it? It's interesting. So, so that, that's a beautiful thing though, that you connected with this group of people who are all struggling with their own issues and, and just finding that group, because if you can imagine going through what you've been through without that, it would be such a different experience, right? Absolutely. And we just had breakfast the other day and trying to figure out how long we were friends. And it's been some of us 33 years, some of us 35, some of us 36. I'm definitely aging myself. But it's a lifelong friendship. And we're all doing fairly well in life, you know, and we've all pretty much found our way. There's, you know, some individuals have not as much, but majority of us are doing very well in life. So we are proud of that fact that we came together and helped each other through things. Absolutely. It's just incredible, isn't it? Because so many people just don't have either parent that's there for them. And it sounds like your mum was there for you to a degree, but that it is a coping mechanism for people just to abandon the entire thing, just to not want to know about it. And it's incredibly difficult for a child to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, my mom wanted to be completely present, but she was dealing with a lot of upheaval in herself, you know, a lot of difficulties. And she got to a place where she wanted to find peace, health, contentment, and stability. And when you are raised in trauma, as I was, as she was, sometimes it's very difficult to find a place of peace, stability, and contentment. And it's also in some way, some odd way, peaceful and content to live within the chaos because it's what you've been conditioned to know. So it takes a lot of unlearning the learning that you've already learned through the inter, you know, generational patterns to feel to feel comfortable to move away from that chaos and to in turn find solitude in peace and the contentment and the stability of being balanced. Yeah, absolutely. It's so foreign, isn't it, to feel peace. It's so foreign to us to feel just so conditioned to everything being crazy, loud, your nervous system is always up here kind of right you just don't understand that peace and when you actually do find that it's such a beautiful thing so was there a level of shame around your father how did you deal with that because we live in a world where where there's so much shame isn't there projected towards people with mental yeah still is every single day realistically People don't want to know about this stuff. It's just too hard and and people don't want to connect in with it. There's still so much shame. There definitely is. I could have gone into many different directions based on my intergenerational trauma, based on my experience, but I went into a direction where I wanted to learn more about it, to understand it. That was after 20-some years of struggling with it. And in doing so, I'm at a place where I'm understanding how to claim my story, how to reclaim my story, and how to move in a direction that allows me to feel that I can take the power back and take control back of my trauma. However, for years, there was a lot of shame affiliated with what I was going through, with who my father was, with how my household was, and in just recalling this information in this conversation, it can bring about some shame in having to relive some of those things. And then intergenerationally, it passed on a little bit with one of my children 
who struggled with her own sense of trauma. And in the marriage that I entered into caused its own set of trauma until I got strong enough and got to a place where I was able to leave and move my story in a different direction and in turn their story. Yeah. And so when you partnered up with your ex-husband, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that was you being drawn towards something that was familiar? I think it was a daddy issue, <laughs> abandonment issues, daddy issues. I think it was me looking for love in all the wrong places. I think I mistaked control and manipulation, control and fathering from someone who was a bit older than me for love. I think it took me a long time to understand that someone telling me what to do, someone controlling my reactions, someone giving me, you know, manipulation, narcissism, whatever you may say, all of that was not healthy for me. And that continued my own inner generational trauma pattern and put my children in that situation. And whereas my mother eventually left, I eventually left myself. Yeah. And how long was that relationship? 27 years. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a 27 years of of, uh, relationship, 20 years of marriage. Wow. That's incredible. So after 27 years of being with somebody, what allows you to make the change? What allows you to leave? What happened? Well, I'm a therapist and it's ironic. I'm a therapist because I went to years and years and years and years of therapy in processing and understanding my story and understanding where I was and understanding how I was a survivor. I don't see myself as a victim. I see myself as a survivor of trauma and in understanding why it was necessary for me to take back this information after years and years and years of therapy. And then ironically, when I decided to, I was in 20 years of education. I was a teacher of English. I taught in primarily inner city urban environments. I went to a school in an inner city urban environment. And I have this idea of give back, you know, trying to sort of pay it forward. So I've always felt more comfortable with individuals who were from an environment that was similar to my own. So with working 20 years in an urban inner city environment, I started to see a change in the way education was perceived. And I always looked at education as a way of sort of escaping the world around us. If I became educated, like I was one of the only ones out of my group of friends who started college initially. My mom pushed me in that direction. I was 17 when I first started college. I did complete my bachelor's and I did go for education. I believed that education was the key to sort of remove myself from the environment in which I was raised. So after 20 years of being an educator, I started to notice that my students were dealing with much larger issues than what I saw in the academic arena. For example, I would give like an essay topic, like what was the best Christmas you ever had? And it would be something along the lines of when there was food in my refrigerator or when I didn't have to worry about my drug addict, you know, stepfather coming into the home, I'd start to see late students and find out that they were basically working a a full-time job overnight and still going into school. And so, and they had to provide for the family. So I started to realize a lot about education. And when I started to move in a direction of studying psychology, I took a course, I took many courses, of course, the, one of the big things you have to do is self-reflect and understand your own bias, understand your own story, understand your own triggers, because you're ultimately going to be working with individuals and you need to understand how to help them and first need to understand your own story. So I did take a course called 
marriage and family counseling. And in taking that course, it was very clear to me what I was living in as a married woman and what I was beginning to create as a mother. So within that course, I started to realize the importance of leaving my marriage. And then there were, you know, a multitude of things that happened that I finally got to a point where I learned to say that I love you to my ex, but I have to learn to love myself more and I need to move on. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? To have that realization, because I don't think most women see that for most of their life to be able to say, I love me more. And how did that feel to move on from that after 27 years? Well, it's interesting that you call it a beautiful thing because it definitely is a beautiful thing in the fact that I had that insight, but it was a very, very hard thing. I felt like a failure. When you talk about shame, that was one of the biggest things. I felt like a failure. I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of guilt in the fact that I felt I was destroying our family unit and that I was moving things in different directions. And I saw a lot of unraveling within my children because of the fact that I made that choice. And I saw a lot of unraveling within myself because being someone who was so used to being comfortable in chaos and people used to say to me, when you remove yourself from the situation, you're going to see how unhealthy your situation truly is, especially my group of friends. And they were right. So when I finally removed myself from that situation and I was at a place of freedom and rediscovery, it was very scary for me. It was very unsettling for me. So whereas I, I had that, those four reactions of you know, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn when I was a child, I reverted back into that as an adult where I just wanted to escape everything and and I wanted to figure out where I was and I just didn't know who I was. And it took a long period of time in soul searching, in helping other individuals, in being there for my children, in sort of moving, in sort of repeating some of the patterns that I saw my mom repeat in leaving my father, that I started to understand that you know, I could change my story and I could find a place of health and balance and contentment. Oh, yes. These things are never easy. And, and there's all the advice, isn't there, to back yourself and do this. It's like such a massive process to go through all of that to actually get to the other side. And there's so much strength in actually doing that because so many people just choose to stay there because it is somehow easier isn't it just to stay in the chaos because that's what you know so there's so much strength in that we've talked a lot about generational trauma and we talk about that on this podcast all the time can you describe what generational trauma is generational trauma is basically that we end up recreating the patterns that have been instilled upon us by previous generations. So whereas, let's say, my great grandmother may have had a similar situation where she had to deal with some sort of toxic situation in her relationship, which I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm saying if it would be, then it would be passed down to my grandmother, then it would be passed down to my mother, then it would be passed down to me, and then it would be passed down to my children. So in continuing these same patterns and in not doing the work and not understanding the patterns and not understanding how these patterns shift us in different directions, we can automatically continue, continue these patterns for the next generation and bringing it from a previous generation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's, it's really so much just about awareness, isn't it? Because yes. I think we can go through our entire lives and never, ever realize what's going on. And it's obviously been happening for generations. So I think we've got to a point in time where we are starting to discuss these generational patterns and it's 
it's something that we're starting to become much more aware of, but so many people just never, ever look at it. What about schizophrenia and bipolar? How likely is it that those mental health issues will get passed down through the generations? Does it get passed down? There, there is a possibility that it gets passed down. The more a person is conditioned to be in the trauma and not do the discovery and not understand where they're coming from, the more likely that that diagnosis can pass through because it is within the family tree. With that said, I do not really want to talk about, you know, where it's gone from certain generations, but as someone who has dealt with mental health illness and who now sees mental health illness every single day of my life, I can state that bipolar and schizophrenia is something that lives within the bloodline and can pass down, but it can also be deterred by having the proper education and the proper treatment. And the earlier the diagnosis is made, the earlier that can be counteracted. Yeah. So is, is it usually, is it usually medication that helps or is it other things? So with the imbalance of a person's life becomes an imbalance in the person's brain. So within the imbalance of the brain, the brain is sort of all over the place. If you think of it like a scale, it's going up and down and up and down and up and down. So when you bring medication, it's the proper medication, it can help to find that proper balance. Doesn't mean it's gonna be a perfect balance, but it, it can find an, a way of balancing certain parts of the brain that would not be able to be balanced without having the medication. So it's necessary sometimes to have that psychotropic medication, which is the medication that helps to handle mental health concerns. And within that, once the proper medication is discovered, then the availability to look into our stories and to look back into some of the trauma pieces is more possible because it's very difficult to kind of see your story as like broken puzzle pieces and you leave them that way because it's easier to sort of like Pandora's box, just stick it in a box somewhere and not deal with it. But when you take those puzzle pieces out and you start to put them together one by one by one by one, and you start to create a story and you start to see the story that was created from an outsider's perspective and looking at your own life, it could be very scary. It can be very overwhelming. It can be very difficult. So it is necessary sometimes to have the balance within your brain and the medical help and the therapeutic help to be able to put those pieces back together in a proper way and to do it in a way that is more therapeutic and catharsis rather than pain and shame. Yeah, absolutely. And you've just explained that so well. There is still this shame it seems around people taking medication for mental health issues i remember feeling the same myself but my brain tells me it's a crazy idea we will medicate everything in our bodies you know like what is the difference between taking medication for mental health it's just it interests me that it still seems to be something that is looked upon with shame. It's stigmatized. Yeah. There is something that's stigmatized about the fact that you take care of parts of your brain that are not working the way that they need to. If you took care of your body in the sense that you had, you know, cancer or diabetes or something along those lines, no one would look down upon you, Mm. you know, but if you take care of something that is off kilter because of your trauma or because of an imbalance in your brain, there's a stigma that exists. So I work very hard with my clients in making them understand that the imbalance that exists within the brain is not something to be shamed and not something to be looked down upon, 
but more so something that we can claim as our own and understand it to find a place of health. Like I make a joke that I think it's time to take the skeletons out of the closet and help them to dance. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And it's so true. Like we shouldn't have, we, we shouldn't have shame for any of those things. It's just so weird what society has put into all of us about what we need to feel shame about. It drives me insane. So if somebody's listening to this right now and they're struggling within those cycles of trauma, what would you say is the first step to changing that and going in a new direction? Finding a proper therapist, finding a therapist who will help them to work through all of that trauma and process all of that emotion. And within that, getting a psychological evaluation with a psychiatrist and seeing if there is a a medication that could be prescribed to help that individual to find the balance within the brain. I happen to be a big proponent of psychoeducation in that sense, I believe, I don't believe in the old school way of just sort of laying someone on a couch and, and having someone, you know, facilitate it and keep all of their knowledge up in their brain and just sort of look at someone as they're some sort of a, some sort of like an experiment. I, I think it's something where we have to do community outreach and we have to understand that mental health affects Many of us, in fact, statistically, if we look at it right now, there's one in five of us that are affected by mental health and one in six children. So if we are considering the fact that one in five of us, if we walk down a street or we go to an event or whatever, one in five of us are struggling with these situations, why should it be something that we feel so shamed to have within our own selves? Why should it be something that's so stigmatized? Why should it be something that makes us feel so bad about ourselves and makes people judge us so intensely when one in five of us are dealing with it? Yeah. And when we talk about the, the fact that the rest of the body is okay to be treated, the brain is part of the body. The idea of having psychosomatic trauma exists. It used to be this, it's just in your head thing. The body is part of the head. The head is part of the body. What goes on in the head is eventually going to affect the rest of the body. Trauma, anxiety, depression can show in the neck, the shoulders, the stomach, the, you know, the legs, the back, whatever may be. And what's going on in the body, having ulcers, having, having any kind of problems within the body can be a result of what is going on in the head. So if it's Mm -hmm. so interconnected, why don't we work to treat them both? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so, so, so true. And so many people are not realizing the connection. Like you said, we think they're two separate things, but it's all so intertwined. And that statistic, one in five adults, but one in six children. I mean, that's how the, I mean, that just screams like we're doing stuff wrong. Like this is like things need to change. It's, uh, it's crazy. One in six for for children. Like it makes me want to cry actually. And that is why I think I started to move in a direction where I created this psychoeducational consulting business, I am finding that there is such a lack of understanding in developmental disabilities and in mental health disorders and in the way these behaviors present themselves in the classroom and present themselves just in society in general. And that these things, because they are not worked with, because they are not treated, because they are not learned about, because they are not understood, follow us into our adulthood lives, you know, into our adult lives and shift us in ways that we do not succeed as adults and that we bring this baggage in and that we don't understand that we may be diagnosed with major depressive disorder or that we may have dyslexia or we may have ADHD because it's so stigmatized and there's so much shame attached to it that we don't want to know. 
So my business, and I am trying to work with individuals to help them to understand what their diagnoses are, to understand the ramifications of the trauma, to understand what it means now that they have these diagnoses or where the gaps may be in these misdiagnoses and how it has in turn moved their, their lives into some level of chaos and what they can do to then take back their stories and move themselves in a direction where their success can be more successful because they've learned how to put those pieces, the puzzle pieces that we just talked about, how to put them back in the right way and take them apart when they were put together in the wrong way. Absolutely. So I was going to ask you to describe what psychoeducation is, but that's pretty much a description there, isn't it? Exactly. It's working with individuals to understand that there's a connection between what is going on with the brain and making ourselves aware of what's going on with the brain. And once we make ourselves aware of what's going on with our brain, then learning to goal set, to have contentment, stability, success, prosperity, in claiming those diagnoses. I don't believe in hiding our skeletons anymore. I believe in holding on to them, taking back our story, reclaiming our power, And I don't believe in the word victim. I believe in the word survivor. I love that. That's so good. And so what sort of people are you working with? Who should be contacting you for help? So I am a parent advocate in the sense that as a parent myself, as a former school counselor, as a therapist, as a former teacher, I understand that there are so many mislearning disabilities within our school setting and within our children. And I think that when someone is given their accommodations, their modifications, their IEPs, their 504 plans, any of those things, they're not always getting what they need for their child to be successful. They may need to have an advocate in looking over and seeing my child is not getting this accommodation or this modification. And in the fact that I have 20 years of education as a teacher, I can say this teacher is not giving the modification and accommodation. And this lesson is not in compliance with this 504 and this IEP. And this diagnosis that this person is giving is not looking into the fact that this may be a situation or this may be a component of their difficulty in learning. And the trauma piece of it, when there is an IEP or a 504 put into place in the school setting, there is only one classification and that is emotional disturbance. So within all of these different areas of the brain working the way the brain is working and processing the way it is, when our child is given an IEP that's from a psychological standpoint, they are simply looking at disturbance which to me is a term historically that needs to be sort of unraveled in itself because it's not looking at the support that is needed for success. And very often the psychological piece with learning disability is separate from the learning disability itself. And a lot of times there's an overlap So if I diagnose someone as having ADHD, I'm not a psychiatrist, but if someone is diagnosed with having ADHD and they're focused on the ADHD so much and they miss the fact that this person is also struggling with bipolar or schizophrenia or something along those lines, the success rate is gonna be 10 times less. It's also that way in urban inner city, you know, poverty stricken districts. It's also that way in large school districts, whereas especially since the pandemic came into play, there's been such an unraveling with education and such a shortage of staff and such an influx in teacher responsibilities that those pieces are not being met always. I mean, if you have 30 some students, I I, I just had lunch with an educator friend the other day who talked about having like she said there were like 600 students in her school, you know, so within looking all of the classes that she has, it's very difficult to say this one's diagnosed with this and this one's diagnosed with this and this one needs this accommodation, this one needs this and this. 
And I understand that's very difficult and I feel bad for the teachers and I feel bad for the school district, but that's not my job. My job is to advocate for the student's needs. And I don't wanna wait until the student is 30 years old and coming to me and saying, I'm not succeeding. And I'm saying to them, were you ever looked at for having ADHD? Did they ever look at your possibility of having an autism diagnosis? Was there any possibility of someone looking at whether or not you were dealing with dyslexia? Was there any possibility that someone was looking at the fact that your dyslexia was caused by the fact that there was so much chaos and trauma within your home that you somehow lost the balance of your brain and your education has been suffering in turn? So with the fact that I was an educator and the fact that I am now a therapist, in blending the two, I try to advocate for parents, students, and individuals in understanding their own diagnoses. So one of the big things I always say is that there is always, always a why in the behavioral display of what we see. Yeah. And very often people do not ask why. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you just look at some kids and they're labeled as bad kids. They're labeled as troublemakers just look at the why look at what's happening in their life you know and it just doesn't happen it's so crazy to me that that this is not happening more in the world it's it's definitely a another kind of whole level of awareness that we have to get around all of these sorts of issues you've got three kids yourself who are teens now how much have you been Actually, able to have one who's an adult okay. <laughs> and I have two teens, two teens. Yes. And, and how do you think you've been able to influence their life by what you've learned and put into place for yourself? My children are very well aware of the fact that I believe in proclaiming our story. I have, I've had to deal with some mental health situations with my children. I did have a situation in which one of my children had a mental health breakdown in the midst of the pandemic and in the midst of seeing so many of my students at that time also having breakdowns. And I think it was very necessary for me to take accountability for my part in the unraveling of that child in trying to come to grips and understanding their own trauma. And it's very important for me to allow my child to speak their mind and their truth and to hear it and not judge it and not try to make excuses for my part in it. There's a saying that I pass on to my clients that I've heard, and I think it's very important. I need you to listen to understand, not listen to respond. And I think that's huge. I had to truly learn that myself in the sense that we as individuals are always on the defense and we're always looking to defend our behavior, but only when we allow a person to process their story and we give them the validation and the empathy and the understanding that we get where they've been and we respect it and we empathize and we take our own personal accountability, can we help that person to heal? And that's very much what happened when my daughter had her own breakdown. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Everything you just said is just like gold. I mean, it's so much what we've got to understand to break those generational patterns and yeah, it's a, it's a massive journey, isn't it? But it's such a valuable one to step on and just do it. And, and a lot of people will never do that. So I just think it's amazing what you've done. So your website is Cause and Effect Trauma Healing. Is that right? Correct. So I will put the link to Lisa's website in the show notes. And if any of what we've spoken about today is resonating with you, please go and click the link, go and see what Lisa's doing. Reach out to her if you're looking for that type of help. It's incredibly important work and life-changing work too. Is there anything else you want people to know about what you're offering? 
what they could do is contact me on my email at lford at clauseandeffecthealing.com. In regards to what I'm offering, I would like to do workshops. I would like to sit down and do a lot more community outreach. I think it's important to help parents to not only help their own children, but to also have their own processing because once you have to take your own accountability and, and to recognize your own piece of the puzzle, sometimes you need your own support. Additionally, once we come to grips with the fact that our child has a diagnosis or our child is you know, needing to get different support or needs to go in a different direction, sometimes it's difficult to drop the idea of this is where I always imagined my child going, this is what I imagined my child being, and learn to meet our child where our child is at. And I really shouldn't say just child because generally I've been dealing with so many 20 year olds, 30 year olds, 40 year olds, 60 year olds who are at a place where they're now learning about their diagnosis. You know, we, we always think that it's supposed to happen as a child, but what happens when it doesn't? Mm -hmm. And you are years into your own generational, intergenerational trauma pattern and created it for your kids what can you do then? I'm an adult, I'm done. No, that's not the way it works. Then we go, okay, let's still figure it out. And then let's see where we're at and what we can do to start taking control of our own patterns and our own stories and shifting that in a way that we can become successful. Because of what I'm dealing with a lot right now, especially after the pandemic and the fear that's been instilled into many of the individuals who are living in our society, is the isolation that many individuals just wanna hide, don't wanna succeed, afraid to live in society, afraid to thrive, afraid to advance, and afraid to let go of the anxiety and the depression and letting that hold them back. Yeah, wow, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, Lisa, this has been such an incredibly valuable conversation it's such an important conversation and I just wish more people could hear it. It's been fascinating to hear what you've shared and thank you so thank you. much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique, your journey is unique, and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious, and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.